Hello, good morning. Um, this morning we're going to be reading from a few different passages in the Bibles, um, and we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 9, which is on page 8, um, if you have the church Bibles. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Um, our next reading is from Genesis chapter 11 again, um, but verses 27 um, through to chapter 12, verse 3, which is on page 8 of the Church Bible as well. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together, from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Our final reading is in Galatians chapter 3, and verses 7 to 9, which is on page 973 of your church Bibles. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, 
in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, thank you. And please do keep your uh, Bibles open back at Genesis, um, page 8 in the small church Bibles. Uh, and let me say again how glad I am you're all here this morning. Um, I think especially if you've come um, to Scotland from another nation, we're going to see this morning that uh, God is interested in and gracious to people from all nations, all tribes and tongues, uh, including Scotland but many other nations beyond. And it's one of our prayers that we as a church family would be like our God in that, welcoming to and, and interested in people from all tribes and tongues. So let me pray for God's help as we come to his word this morning. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are a speaking God and you have a message for all nations. We pray very much, despite the heat this morning and the busyness, and everything else going on in our lives and our hearts. We pray you'd help us to listen to you, to trust you, and so have real hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we get into our passage this morning, I do just want to mention one other notice which should come up on the screen. Um, it's this Genesis on the Beach uh, plug we've been doing. It's not a new scripture festival for Edinburgh it's not some kind of sand-based biblical performance art. Uh, it is just an invitation to say, why don't we read Genesis over the summer? If you haven't already planned what you're thinking of looking at or reading in the Bible or listening to um, on holiday, well, why not pick Genesis as your book? Uh, we're suggesting that because Genesis is going to be our motto series next year. So in small groups and on Sunday mornings, we'll be looking at Genesis from mid-August. Uh, we'll start then from chapter 12. We'll pick it up where we've got to, chapter 12 and carry on. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's a chance to go right back to the beginning, where it all started, uh, the world and the Bible. Uh, it's a chance to study a narrative bit of scripture. We haven't done that for a few years in our small groups. And it's a chance to see why we need Jesus, why Jesus is the climax of the Bible story. And I'm hoping we'll be amazed, a bit like with Hebrews, we're amazed at how the Bible fits together. And that, there we saw it from the kind of end of the story backwards. In Genesis, we'll be seeing it from the start of the story forwards. Even this morning, we'll see a bit of that. Um, so if you are able to, to take a bit of time, um, please do read Genesis. It's a wonderful book, but it is quite long. 50 chapters. 50! Um, so rather than kind of starting cold in mid-August and just having to take our word for it on what some of the chapters say, it'd be great to, to, to read some as, as church life slows down a bit and we head off onto holidays. Um, you may not be on the beach um, but please uh, take opportunities to look at Genesis. You can listen to it on an audio Bible. Bible Gateway has a free one. The ESV app on iPhone and Android has free um, audio you can listen to. If you've got a 10-hour drive like we have to look forward to, you could get through it three times almost. <laughs> it's three and a half hours in a kind of block booking. Um, or you could tick by bit by bit. Um, we've printed out on the, on the service sheet. Uh, it's not compulsory, but if you want a kind of schedule to work through Genesis between now and mid-August. Um, you, could, you could do that. Um, and there's even a catch-up day every so often if you fall behind. Um, so however you do it, um, I'd love, us to, love to encourage us to read Genesis. Um, it is worth saying, I'll give one kind of early warning. There is some fairly harrowing stuff in there. So if you do read it, you will come across some gruesome things. This is an honest look at the world. It doesn't airbrush out the horrible bits. 
Already in Genesis 1 to 11, we've seen murder and judgment from God. We've seen violence and sexual sin. And there is more of that to come. So it's good to go in with our eyes open. The reality is that human rejection of God, human sin, makes a terrible mess of this world. Terrible mess of relationships and families. And that is what Genesis shows. So if you do read through, please don't assume this is just kind of moral fables to help us be good people. It's definitely not the case that God approves of or agrees with the behavior of lots of the lead characters. These are very much sinners who need God's grace, who need forgiveness, who need transformation, i.e. people a lot like us. Okay, that's Genesis. Please read through. Let's get into our passage now. Um, we're in Genesis chapter 12. That's the kind of focus. These first three verses of chapter 12 is where we're focusing. Um, we'll t- take one look now, and then we'll pause, and we'll come back to chapter 12 uh, in mid-August. It is such an important passage, this. Uh, it's no exaggeration to say this is the kind of foundation of the entire rest of Genesis and actually the rest of the Bible story. In lots of ways, the rest of the Bible is unpacking what God means by Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. And because of these short lines, we can have hope in this world. As Callum was saying, we can have certain hope, the conviction of hope. Hope that there will be blessing from God in the end, that there will be a happy ending. And so I've put that question at the start of uh, the outline um, on on the notice sheet. Um, Is it naive to have hope in this world? Is it naive to have hope in this world? After all, there is a lot of pain and brokenness. A lot. Both personally, as some of us here this morning who are grieving or suffering know all too well. And there's a lot of pain and brokenness globally as well, isn't there? After a week of chaos in the news, chaos in Russia a submarine implosion in the Atlantic, and that's not even to mention the many ongoing wars and atrocities. Amidst all that chaos, is it naive to think that things are going to come good one day, that there is some hope of a happy ending, some light at the end of the tunnel? I think one of the noticeable features of our post-Christian society in Scotland, is, or the West, is a bit more cynicism or skepticism is creeping in about this idea of hope. Um, It's actually one of the things you can notice in in kind of popular entertainment culture, I think, in the last couple of decades. The kind of simple storyline of a genuine hero riding in to save the day so that everything works out in the end, I think that's pretty much died a death. So in action movies or TV shows, it used to be the case when I was younger that you got the goodies and you got the baddies, and the goodies were very good and the baddies were very bad. And however bad things got with the baddies, well, before the end of the episode, the heroes would come along and sort things out as we all cheered along. It was just really simple. I mean, take the A-Team, for example. This may be before your time, or maybe not the kind of TV you watched when you were younger, but this is my one. I mean, no one raised a question whether a bunch of renegade, machine-gun-toting, ex-special forces guys might be a problematic group to help the vulnerable. No, they simply upgraded their van, and they rode in to save the day. Simples. Or Star Trek, if you're into sci-fi, in the 90s, the, the Next Generation series, full of hope, diplomatic solutions, an enlightened humanity not at war anymore, high culture even happening on a spaceship. 
or the early Marvel movies. Sure, every hero had a particular weakness to make it interesting, but they overcame that, and they teamed up, and they saved the day. More recently, though, the heroes are part of the problem, sometimes cause the problem. The lines of right and wrong are really blurry. Knowing who to cheer is unclear. And especially this, thinking there's a happy ending, that there'd be hope at the end, that the next film wouldn't totally undo. It's become deeply problematic to have hope. It's like the screenwriters are saying to us how naive we were in the 90s to have hope for this complex world. Now, I realize sci-fi or action movies might not be your thing. Um, it may well be rom-coms have done the same thing, but I don't know. Um, but this issue, this actual issue of is there hope for humanity, genuine hope for this world that we live in, the real world, well, it's, I think, key to living. Lose all hope, and it's hard to keep going day by day. Is it just naive? Well, so far in the book of Genesis, we've been doing it mostly in the evenings, so we may not all have been there for this. But so far in chapters 1 to 11, we have seen serious problems. This is our first point. We see serious problems globally and personally, both then and now. Serious problems globally and personally. So through this book, we've seen Genesis 1, God made a good world, a very good world, with humanity right at the heart of it. But then humanity rejected God and have totally messed it up. In response, everything has been affected now. So we saw God, chapter 3 of Genesis, cast humanity out of his direct presence. We've seen work become frustrating rather than satisfying. Seen the ground, the created order, cursed to futility. Everything's been affected. We've seen the human heart supposed to be turned towards God and outwards to others, now turned in on itself in selfishness, self-promotion, violence towards others. We've seen the first murder, chapter 4. We've seen the spreading of violence across the planet, chapter 6. Most seriously of all, we've seen the spread of death through humanity, chapter 5. It's not the way it was originally. God made us for life. But as he warned our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, if you reject me, the giver of life, you will surely die. And die we have ever since. That's most shocking and serious of all, that despite those serious consequences at God's hand, humanity are not learning the lesson. Last week, chapter 11 in the morning, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, our first bit of our reading this morning, we looked at the Tower of Babel, this moment where humanity unites not to say sorry to God, to turn back to him in sorrow, to ask for forgiveness. No, quite the opposite. Uniting to make a name for ourselves, to say, stuff you, creator. We can create anything we want without you. So these early chapters of Genesis make pretty grim reading. It's a kind of downward spiral of sin and God's judgment in response. No wonder we've ended up with a world today where nation fights against nation, where food and resources are scarce for the many because of hoarding by the few, the rich, where many people don't feel safe walking down the street at night in our cities. 
Is it naive to have hope in a world like Genesis 1 to 11? Well, yeah, actually. It sounds like it is. I mean, it would be naive, wouldn't it, to, to expect a, a fulfilling, perfect job in a world that's been cursed to futility, wouldn't it? It would be naive to expect an automatic blessing of an easy, large, happy family in a world where childbearing is now painful. It would be naive to expect to live forever in a world where death reigns, wouldn't it? It would be naive to, to think that humanity is going to get better and better, like the humanists claim, or the Disney films claim, good on the inside, when God's verdict is actually we're rotten now on the inside, turned in on ourselves. It would be naive to expect world peace and harmony between nations after Babel. And yet here's the thing. We find ourselves longing for that, longing for all of those things I've mentioned. Because that's the world we were made for. That's the kind of world God originally created us for. And so the question we get to at the end of chapter 11 is, is there any way back to the garden? Any way back to peace on earth? Any way back to right relationship with God? Any way to find blessing and not just curse? But actually, it's not just the global problems that we feel. It's personal problems too. I've said this point is we see serious problems, global and personal, then and now. And I wonder if you noticed as we read those, um, that kind of list of names between verse 27 and verse 32, I wonder if you noticed the name that stands out. It actually would have stood out even more if we've read, read all the way from 11 verse 10, this longer list of names. Uh, it's a list of people having children, 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 people having children. It's a, it's a family tree. And then verse 30 you get to Abraham or Abraham's wife. Verse 30. Interrupting all the talk of offspring, all the multiple generations, is this comment. Verse 30. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Why are we being told that? Well, it reminds us again of the broken state of this world. And it reminds us it's not just on the grand global scale, the nations at odds with each other, the chaos of different languages. It reminds us of the personal tragedy of this fallen world, this pain, deep pain of childlessness, of miscarriage, of infertility. It reminds us of Genesis 3 all over again, Reminds us that this creation is not as God had, pretend, uh, had intended it. That original command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, is now actually racked with pain and difficulty, as some of us here know all too well. And so you really might get to the end of chapter 11 feeling pretty grim, feeling like hope is long gone. It would be naive, wishful thinking to think otherwise. But wonderfully, Genesis 11 isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the Bible. 
It's not because God hasn't given up. Uh, That is the only reason that Babel and barrenness is not the end of the story. God hasn't given up. In fact, it's precisely at this low point, after the disaster of Babel, and into the pain of Sarah and Abraham, unable to have children, in precisely that moment, that lowest of moments, God decides to make the most extraordinary promise. This is our second point. This is the most important one. So if you're too hot to remember everything, just remember this one. Uh, Point two. In free, sovereign grace, God has committed to bring blessing through Abraham to the nations. In free, sovereign grace, God has committed to bring blessing through Abraham to the nations. I said at the start, this is a big moment in the Bible. It's a huge turning point. It's the anchor of hope for the rest of the story of Scripture. In fact, when God's people later hit rock bottom, um, Israel uh, goes through a particularly rough patch, this is where they turn back to for hope, that God has committed to bring blessing through Abraham and his family. Now, I've called this grace, free grace. Grace just means we don't deserve it. It's undeserved kindness. So in the face of Babel, in the face of those first 11 chapters of mankind rebelling against God, God freely, graciously chooses to bless. He doesn't give up. Free grace. I've also called it sovereign grace because it's clear that it's all of God's doing. I mean, we don't contribute to this at all. Abraham doesn't contribute. He just picks this family out. They're no better than anyone else. We find out later that Abraham and his family worshipped other gods, worshipped idols before he was called. We're not told that he was calling on the name of the Lord. The only distinguishing factor, the only piece of information we're given is that Abraham and Sarai had, had this inability to have children, which just underlines the point that God is doing this. Humanly speaking, this is the least likely place for hope to emerge in the world. Hope for a a line of descendants. Since Genesis 3, there's been this promise that one day a serpent crusher would come. I know that sounds weird if you haven't read Genesis 3, but it was a promise that a descendant from Adam and Eve would one day deal with evil. So we're looking for Uh, This child, we're kind of following down the family tree, trying to find this child. And it seemed like this particular branch of the family tree would never be the place you'd find him. But God is demonstrating deliberately that this depends on me, not on you. It's his sovereign grace. Any chance to go back to the garden... Any chance to turn the curse into blessing depends on him, not us. Let's just look at verse 2 and see um, how it's actually going to happen. So verse 1, Abraham needs to um, follow God's call and um, move to the land uh, God is showing him. We'll think more about that when we come back in August. Um, But just look at the focus on Abraham in verse 2. See if you can see the repeated word. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I think it's two repeated words. There's blessing and there's you, Abraham or Abraham. You are the one through whom my blessing will come. That's the point. Through Abraham, God will bless the nations. Not because of anything special about Abraham, not his piety, his goodness, his brain, his brawn, or anything else, just God's free choice to bless in sovereign power, to set his favor upon this man and his family. It's striking, this, um, this promise that he will give Abraham a great name. It's a deliberate echo of what happened at Babel. So just look back to chapter 11, verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. 11 verse 4, this is humanity in rebellion against God saying, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. That was Babel trying to assert their greatness without God. We don't need you, God, to be great. It's a kind of attempt of the creatures to say they were bigger than the creator. And God effortlessly put a stop to that kind of self-promotion of creatures over creator. Their project didn't last long. But the thing is, God is gracious. He's kind. He's generous. He loves to bless. And so though he puts a stop to that, he says to Abraham, actually, I will give you for free what the nations were always chasing by themselves. I will give you a great name. I will give you blessing." And the significance of this, the significance of this is that once God has made his choice, once he's committed himself to this family, this line, once he says, here is where blessing is to be found for all nations, well, there really is one place to look for hope in the world. The Bible's saying, if you long for a day when the frustration and the futility and the pain of this fallen world is overturned, that a blessing of a new creation, a fixed creation, has come, well, there's one family to watch, one family to look to for hope, the family of Abraham. Actually, that is why the Bible, from this point onwards, zooms in. So if you do do Genesis by the beach, uh, or wherever you are, um, you'll discover that the camera zooms right in Chapters 1 to 11 were about all nations, were about the entire earth. But from now on, we just watch Abraham and his family. Uh, Chapters 1 to 11 went over loads of generations, but now we zoom right in and slow down as we check each generation after Abraham of his family to see if that serpent crusher has arrived yet. Problem is, the family is completely dysfunctional. As you read through, it's not happy families. It's the kind of stuff that you'd find on Jerry Springer or Jeremy Kyle. It's a mess, chaos. See, God has committed himself to bless this family and to bless the world through this family. But actually, we're going to need someone better than all of the children in Genesis. One more thing to notice before we move on from this second point. Um, One more thing to notice, because so focused is the Bible from this point on, on this one family, so focused, you might start to think God only cares about one ethnic group, 
only cares about the Jewish people, Abraham's offspring, the nation of Israel. But of course, that would be if you hadn't been concentrating in 12 verse 3, if we zoned out. Just let me read 12 verse 3 again, because right up front, God says what the plan is, 12 verse 3. And it's not just focused on one ethnic group. 12 verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let me say that again. In Abraham all the families or nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is, this family of Abraham, the people of Israel, were always supposed to be God's means of blessing the world. And again, that's a reversal of Babel, isn't it? Babel is when the nations got scattered in God's judgment. Um, But God isn't giving up. He has a plan to bless the nations now through Abraham and his free grace. So it should be absolutely no surprise to us that here we are, thousands of years later, in another continent entirely, sitting surrounded in this room, by people from all sorts of nations hearing about Abraham and benefiting from this blessing, from this promise. See, this this is the start of the story, and Jesus will be the end of the story. This is the promise that ends up in Jesus and ends up in the church, this international family blessed through Abraham's line. Let's jump on to point three. Point three. Because we need to notice, while God has committed himself to bless the nations through Abraham, graciously, freely, sovereign grace-wise, he could have just given up, he didn't, he chose to bless. But nevertheless, it's not automatic who gets this. This is our final point. This blessing is available for anyone who trusts in Jesus. It's even clear in Genesis 12, verse 3, that not everyone benefits from this blessing. Verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So it's not actually going to be automatic. It's not just indiscriminately everyone in the world will have a happy ending through Abraham. No, it depends what you do with Abraham and the promises God has given It depends what you do with God's plan of salvation that comes through Abraham. Do we honor him and trust it, or do we scoff at it and reject him? And to fast forward the story a long way, it all depends what we do with Jesus. This is point three. Um, This blessing is available now for anyone who trusts in Jesus. See, the way God was planning to bring blessing to the nations through Abraham's family was through Jesus being born in that family. I said we have this promise from Genesis 3 verse 15 that one day a human descendant of Eve would be a serpent crusher, would defeat evil once for all, even while being attacked and wounded himself. And in many ways, the whole Bible story is a hunt for that serpent crusher. From Genesis 12 onwards, we know which family to find him in, the family of Abraham. That's where blessing will flow through. That's why the start of the New Testament, the first page of Matthew's gospel, uh, if we don't know this, seems like the most boring way to start the, 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 the New Testament. 
It's just a list of names. It's just another family tree, a genealogy. But if you do know this, it's hugely significant when Jesus is introduced as a child of Abraham from the family of promise, finally delivering this hope that one day the nations will be blessed through this one family. And to see that, let's just close um, with uh, looking at Galatians briefly. So please turn on, if you're in a church, a small church Bible, please turn on to page 973. I discovered recently our large print Bibles have different page numbers. So I'm very sorry if you've been confused for years using one of those. But this size Bible has page 973, Galatians 3. Um, Galatians 3, verses 7 to 9, which makes so clear who gets to benefit from this hope, from this blessing. So Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. There's our verse. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And what's our faith in? Look at verse 14. So that, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations, the Gentiles. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. That was always the plan. Whether you're ethnically or Jewish or not, God always had a plan to bless through Abraham's family. Genesis 12 is the moment in the Bible where you know there'll be a happy ending. Galatians 3 asks us, will I be part of it? Let me say that again. Genesis 12 is where we know there will be a happy ending. God is committed to blessing people from across the nations. Galatians 3 and the New Testament in general says, will you enjoy that blessing or reject it and face God as an enemy? As I close, I do want to address um, two different groups of people as we think how to apply this. Um, It's very clear that there is hope in this world, but it's also clear that it's not automatic. That division in, in chapter 12, verse 2 of Genesis Will we bless Abraham or curse him? Will we respond in trust or in scoffing? And so I do want to ask, um, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what is stopping you at the moment? We've seen in Galatians that it's crucial to, to trust in Jesus. Jesus is the way that God brings this blessing to the nations. That's because someone had to pay the price because we've all wronged God, and Jesus did that. Someone had to live a life of obedience, of right living before God, and Jesus did that for us. But to benefit from that blessing, we do need to trust him. Jesus is the hope for the nations. That's why in our interview earlier, uh, our friend was so excited to hear of the message of Jesus, not just spreading in the country where they serve, but starting to spread to other countries from that country. Of course, because when you realize this is the one hope for the nations, of course, one of the outflows in every church across the world will be, well, how can we share this with other nations? 
I realize if you are here from a different culture and have not come across much of the Bible, this whole story may sound pretty strange. A serpent crusher? Uh, Who is Abraham? What's so special about Jesus? It may be we have questions like that, and my encouragement would be to ask those questions and find someone who's willing to, to sit down and open the Bible and explain it. But actually, whether it's our natural culture or not, the Bible is self-authenticating. It shows itself to be true because God's plan has been developing over hundreds of years of promises made and promises kept. God promised, through this family, I will bless the nations. And now we see an international, multinational church across the nations, all trusting in the God of Abraham through Jesus Christ. So if you're not yet a follower, can I encourage you to ask, why not? And please chat to us if you'd like to find out more. But what about, in the last couple of minutes, what about those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus already? Well, if you're not natively Jewish, I hope you realize, I hope we realize, what an extraordinary thing it is that God opened his arms to all nations to spread the blessing of Jesus Christ. Didn't have to. Babel could have been the end. That's enough of that. I just give up on this lot. No. God had a gracious plan to include outsiders like us. Likewise, it's good to be reminded, isn't it, that salvation is a free gift of grace. That there's blessing available, not because of what we do, but because of entirely what God does in his free choice. I think it's the time of year where many of us are pretty tired and weary. We've been serving away in various areas of church life and daily life. Um, Lots of us have done a wonderful job this year of serving. I'm so thankful for kind of every act of service that helps church life to keep going and helps us share the good news with our communities. Um, With my small group hat on, I'm really thankful for every small group leader sacrificing time and energy and effort and prayer to love people in their groups well, to teach God's word. I mean, what a great way to use a year, investing in people for eternity. And likewise, there's so many folk laboring behind the scenes, seats being set out every Sunday, teas and food served, toilets being cleaned, children and young people looked after so well. But as we draw to the end of a year of service, let's just remember, it's not our service that gives us confidence to approach God. God didn't headhunt us for our skills or our gifts or our dedication. Now, in contrast to the Babel approach, look what we can build is the gospel approach of I will bless you. I'm committed to it, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of my gracious character. For those of us who've struggled this year, maybe just struggled to keep going, putting one foot in front of another, I hope that's a great encouragement. Our output is not why we're in the family. And then finally, in this global mission month, I hope it's fairly obvious that Genesis 12 is a great place to be as we reflect on reaching out across the nations with the good news of Jesus. God isn't focused on one country, and nor should we be. We'll get... um, these booklets, uh, if you want them, on the way out, these global partner booklets that, that um, Rob, uh, Jay was mentioning. And please do make use of them. There's a chance to, to get to know some of our partners, to pray for them. Uh, they love it when we drop them a line and encourage them. 
You can encourage them from something from Genesis 12 if you'd like to. Um, let's make the most of being uh, engaged together with God in this great uh, multinational mission. But let's also not just think of it as something out there, but also something in here. The Lord is bringing many folk from many countries to Edinburgh. I think even in the last six years I've been here, it's increased. That's my sense. And so what an opportunity to extend God's blessing to many through telling them about Jesus. Let me pray. That would be true for us as a church family. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are a God who is gracious and kind, a God who doesn't give up even when you'd have every right to, but instead chooses to bless, to bless people like us through the life and death of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, despite all that's going on in life at the moment and all the heat in, in, um, uh, today, we pray that you'd help us to rejoice in the blessing you've given us by free grace and to look forward to that day when Jesus puts it all right and brings a creation with no more sickness, tears, or death. We pray this would be a church family where that message rings out across many nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to close our time um, singing a song that speaks of that Lord Jesus, um, the long-promised um, word of the Father, um, the one who came down to save us um, at cost of his own life and give us a message of great hope for the nations. So please, as the music starts, please um, stand and let's sing together. <laughs>